Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And Jared. Nico. And this is Dungeon Talk episode 15. 15. In today's Dungeon Talk, we're going. our table topic is going to be giving your players their moment. We're going to pull from the mailbag from at Warwick on Twitter, and we're going to talk about battle maps. Um, our guest topics are going to be dealing out loot to your party and changing an encounter in the moment. And then we're going to do next news again, and we're going to talk about the Warlord class. Right. right. So... To start off, our table topic, giving your players their moment, really the biggest thing in my head about that is just what happened in the last game where um, we came up with a plan to trick one of the NPCs that you came that you came up with. And when we did, I honestly thought that you weren't going to let us go along with okay. it. Okay. Well, and I guess what one thing that made me really happy about that moment is I think about it where I provided ingredients, you guys made a recipe. Because mm-hmm. I had I did not foresee you doing that, but in the moment I was like, that's really cool. Well, I was uh, so what happened? Ha- okay. So for those of you who weren't in my game, basically <laughs> uh, there's this tower that has appeared and the characters realize that they have this crystal key and apparently the crystal key within a certain... I'm grinning because this was my idea and I just thought it was awesome. So the crystal key, when it gets so close to or when he gets to a certain place, the tower appears. And when he gets so far away, it disappears. Well, in the, the game before last, um, the elves had come back to reclaim the tower. They met with Evan's character, Zane. And they basically said Zane owes them 10,000 gold pieces, uh, basically in return for his father screwing over their tribe. So he said, you got 30 days to get me 10,000 gold or I'm going to kill you. And... So they, they started to leave after they'd been told they're they're going to get killed in 30 days. But when they left with the key, that's when the tower disappeared. And they realized, they, they were able to put together that, that the key made the tower disappear. It's because it was turning warmer, so we knew something was up. Right, it was kind of glowing. And, and in a lot of ways, I did it just to be kind of funny. That when you, when you got far enough away and the tower disappeared, I told you that all the elves started freaking out. Because like half the people were in the tower. And so half their people are just suddenly gone and they're all freaking out. And they put together, well, how about we go back and trade them the tower for this 10,000 gold piece for, you know, bounty that's on our heads. So they went back and they, they set up this whole situation where they pretended like Grexel was a wizard. Which is true. The wizard, yes, exactly. <laughs> so that Grexel was going to bring the tower back and he promised to keep it there because they, they left the key out. They didn't tell the elf about the key. They just said, we can bring the tower back or we can make it go away. We'll bring it back, and you take away this bounty off our head. And then in addition to that, they got some scorpion armor and a scorpion a bow. bow. And I'm very loot low. Like, I don't give out a lot of Did treasure. Did Grexel get armor, too? Yes. Yeah. So, so the elves didn't know about this crystal that makes their tower disappear. Correct. Because <laughs> so Grexel the, just the, the tower the has been now. missing for almost oh, yeah. a thousand years. Okay. And then it suddenly reappeared, and they came back to reclaim it. And it's, then when they left, it disappeared again. Yeah, we found the key on the top floor, and we kind of knew what it was because it was introduced in... A few games uh, earlier. Yeah, I guess it was kind of one of the first games, actually, we were introduced to the key. We just didn't know what it was the key for. Mm-hmm. So when we saw it again, we knew it was the key, uh, the key for the tower. We just didn't know exactly what it did, and we still don't. We don't know what the key actually operates. We just know it's part of the whole tower thing. Right. And the key was destroyed. Like the first time you made it appear and disappear, I told you that a crack appeared in the crystal key. And then by doing this trick and bringing it back and forth, it actually caused the, the key to be destroyed. So technically you're right. The, the tower is still there and there is now no way to get rid of it that you know of. So you did actually fulfill your end of the bargain. The tower, as far as you know, has no way to disappear again. But for me, that what I liked about that is that I didn't think... Well, I'll give them the key, and then they'll be able to, to talk to the elves. Like, my thought was, you're going to have to figure out how to get this gold, or you were going to run away. And then I was just like, wow, that's awesome. I was so happy that you guys took something that I gave you without realizing what it was and made something better out of it. So the, re- the reason for making this a topic, I think, is that in your case, you were you were – it was perfect. You went along with our idea. Basically, like, I explained what my intention was. And then I gave you the chance as the DM to think about it and go, do I want to give him his moment or do I want to continue? Because I guess, could you have taken that away from me and made it easier for your story? 
Yeah, absolutely. I could have, and even within the confines of the game, I could have just had the elf chief go, we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you can't because the key's gone. And you're like, well, clearly you, you know, it would have made sense for him to challenge you. And it would have been very easy for me to say, okay, he doesn't believe you anymore. Or maybe one of the elves could have noticed the guy, the accomplice that we had that was helping us do the trick while we're doing the spell, quote unquote. Right. There could there have been a lot of things. I mean, you made, made it a little bit more difficult because you said it's raining now. So like he can't hear the. My spell word, which was bacon, bacon, it's Grexel. It's, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, his so, his spell was bacon, 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 bacon. Does anybody have any other times from playing where they can remember where they got their moment? Like the DM gave them their moment, and they were able to do something uh, really cool. Yeah, well, I, I can't remember this. There was uh, Mike played in it, and it was with it with not with you guys. It was with another group. But I had this whole idea. I wanted to have because I've never done this before. I wanted to have a kind of like dungeon crawl with puzzles, uh, which I can't, dungeon crawls with puzzles are difficult because if, if people know about them out of character, the puzzle they'll just solve it really quick. Or if they don't know an answer, it would just take them too long. Uh, but anyways, one of the puzzles was actually playing uh, tic tac toe and. If you are actually if the first one to go and take that toe, you can always win or get a draw. So their point was for them to realize it's impossible to, to do this. And they had some ideas of what will happen when they realize it's impossible to pass these puzzles so they can go to the next place. And uh, Brad was the guy that we were playing with. He was the one that said, well, where are we playing tic-tac-toe? And I said, it's like a tablet. So then he actually flipped the tablet over. I don't know if you remember this, Mike. I do. Yeah, so he flipped the tablet over, and he's like, well, I do it this, on this side. And I was like, you know, that's not what I was planning on having them do. I was planning them to actually have a puzzle that you guys fail. But it was such a cool idea, and it's hard to describe what he did on the tic-tac-toe. But basically, he's like, well, I put my O on this side and my O on this side, so now you can't really play. So you made, like, three-dimensional tic-tac-toe. Right. Which, and I was like, that is so cool. Like, I have to be like, you solved it. You win. You know, so it was just like that. But you could have just as easily said, said no, that, that nothing happens. That nothing doesn't happens. do anything. Right. right. But, but, I, but again, for my, I will say for for my own uh, humility that I even said out loud, I think this is a war game situation and we're supposed to learn that we can never win. Right. But then no one went along with me. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, and then we kept playing tic-tac-toe for like an hour. <laughs> well, cause, no, because players, players think that anything that's in front of them has to be solvable. For a reason. So it's either solvable or they have to follow like a it. Like a puzzle in the top room of a tower. We have to be able to solve that. Otherwise, why did the DM put it Don't here? Don't you want to know what it does? <laughs> I do. It's going to be big. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's 90% of the people you play with are going to try and solve every puzzle. They well, there because is, they, want the, they want the treasure from well, it. One of the in topics game, rewards are. Go ahead. In my game right now, there's a puzzle that has been 95% solved. But you guys came right to the end, and then, you know, you you kept... You could tell that you were doing things correctly because something would happen. A door would open, you'd find a key, something, the top would open, you know. And the keyhole was exposed. And yeah, so you could tell that you were doing things right, but then you never quite got to the end. So right, you have this unfinished puzzle right. yep. that I hope you're still thinking about because you do need to think about it. Oh, my in-character and out-character, I was thinking about that puzzle. Well, I had a, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, well, I, had, I had a problem, or I had a similar problem in the game. one of my recent games. I had just a little... There were some uneven stones, and the, there were some black ones and some blue ones. And uh, they would they would push on one, and they'd hear like like stone rubbing against stone in the background, like a stone door opening, uh, basically. And but then it would stop, and then when they would let go of the the stone or unstep on it, it would they would hear it go down again. And they were they spent literally two and a half hours going. They stepped on every individual one. Okay, this made a noise. All right, they stepped on every other individual one. Okay, this one made a noise. And then they just did that for two hours just to see what loot they would get after it. So people are pretty dedicated to that. They, they, I mean, I, I think that's a will. typical... Most... I, I even said, there, this, this is in a hallway. You can continue on. You're, there's no closed <laughs> door. You don't even know what you're opening. You could be letting out a swarm of who knows what. Dire so did, bees. But so they, from doing that, they did find loot. Yes, they found that. actually, well, you, this doesn't make any sense to anybody who's listening, but they found actually a, a whole set of Guardian armor, which is like, it's priceless. So, were you planning on that armor being there? Yes. Or did you get it, it actually to actually belonged just to because... the person they were searching for, okay. who had to abandon this place because he was being chased after. 
so he he didn't have time to get it. So they actually found it and gave it to him, and he was he gave them this ring that was like also priceless because he wanted his armor back, obviously. Right. So well, and that ring I had to come up with top out of top of my head well, because well, we pr- probably kind of jumping off topic yeah, a little sorry. bit. No, 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 yeah. that, that's fine. Well, but there's because there's two other things that I kind of wanted to talk about, and they kind of mix into this. One is puzzles as a whole in D and D, and then also loot uh, in D and D. But I think we're going to cover loot in your segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, before you... we get to them, let's talk about what what are the benefits. What do you get? From the DM point of view, and what do you get from the player's point of view when you have that moment? Well, and this is something we've talked about before, because in your game, I felt like I got a moment when we were talking about interacting with that Julius character, where my character is the con mm-hmm. man, and I felt like you gave me a moment. It made me feel really good about my choices, and it was a role-play situation. Get you invested uh, Rope, in the game. It yeah, gets you invested in, in the game. Rope got the moment, too, when he was fighting the monks in the tournament. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he got That to, was his moment. He got to have a shiny moment where he was able to win... The, like the blood sport because he was all excited that he actually did it and he made it all the way to the end even though are you talking about rob right yeah rob's character in your game oh but I think... well that was i guess i sh- mm, that was kind of planned that was kind but of he planned. still won i mean he could have lost that we rolled the die he he could have he... failed and got his butt kicked i went just <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> i went just by die rolling on that but the thing is is he you guys were level three Basically, war fighters at that time, and he was fighting against Beyond. peasants from right. the city that you were in. So, if so he, he lost, didn't it have would, any problem. It would have been embarrassing. Yeah, it, it would have been real, real right. bad but if he didn't I lost. guess sort of high level, what I would talk about, about giving the players a moment, and particularly in what happened in my game, is I think that is what a role-playing game like D&D or others can do that most other games can't, mm-hmm. is that you have that shared experience. Because we talk all the time, like, I've, I'm the DM, I'm the storyteller, I have a story that I put you guys in, and I'm enjoying you guys working through it. But in that moment, it stopped being my story, and it became our story. Yeah, to add to that, another, the greatest feeling for me as a DM is when you give the players something to do, and they just role-played out themselves through conversations with themselves, and, and then take pro- it from there. And, and you're just like, you, wow, yeah. I did good. Right, you just, yeah, you said you really in, into this. Kind of yeah. lean back and... And for me, that's rewarding yeah. because I've created a world, not a story. There, are, There's now independent pieces and parts that are interacting with each other differently than what I had intended. You know, it, it, without again, getting kind of crazy, it's like, almost like creating life. Like I, I gave birth to something that is now greater than the sum of its parts. And that's just fantastic. And that's why I wanted to say yes, because it was rewarding for me to see you guys do that. And it was funny. We still had jokes about it. But it was very rewarding as a DM for that to happen. But I think that there's DMs out there that are too that are could be um, too controlling over oh, their story yeah. to let to let that organic moment happen where the players come up with a really really good idea and it actually makes sense, but you weren't prepared for it. It's not, or it might come with some kind of downfall to one of your NPCs, maybe. You know, like, what if they come up with something that kills one of your NPCs, that's going to kill off one of your main characters, but it makes sense, and it's complete, it's completely feasible, and you got you as the DM, you can either go along with it, or you can come up with something on your own. You can, because as a DM, you can always say, well, you know, he has this spell that you didn't know about. Right. And, or you can just well, say you can't do that. I would say but, mostly that's probably inexperienced DMs, that they're so concerned about, how I get from A to B to C to D to E. And if you take away C, okay, I don't know how to get from B to D now. Like I, like right. And I just don't know what to do with that. And, and what I would say within my example for those listening, it's still possible that this tower may disappear in the future because you still don't exactly know why it's going to, you know, the key did it. You also know there's more than one key because that's been established. Right. So right now you had a 10,000 gold piece bounty on your head that if you didn't pay back that they were going to come kill you. Now, how pissed are they going to be if that tower disappears? You have nothing to do with it, but they're going to blame you. So instead of having like five guys that come to find you, the entire Elven nation is going to be looking for you. I'll deal with that roadblock. Yeah, that, that's disappeared in the past. How can that be pulled up? Pulled on well, it was gone for well, thousand years, and now I basically back. went back and I said, "We have it the secret to the tower." They basically they think that we have we can control the tower now. So if it does disappear, oh, well, they are going to <laughs> So I'm just saying that hey, you know what I had planned, like what I foresaw you doing because you had this bounty on your head, 
was going to allow me to kind of control the characters again, railroading without railroading. Like, okay, I know they have to get money. So now I can create some plots that provide money. That's okay. So now I have a motivation that I can manipulate and go, well, here's a situation that if you do, you'll get money, you need money. So you're more than likely you'll do it. It makes it easy for me to DM the next couple sessions of the part of the game, but it doesn't destroy my story that you now bypass that 10,000 gold piece bounty all it does is free you up to pursue other tracks that might have been four games down the line. Now they're going to be two games down the line. I just got to speed up when you get to certain things. Yeah, I guess to kind of continue the thought about DM versus player for that. But things. is that something I know? I don't want to ruin your game and your plans for your games. Is that something you would do though? Would you say make that tower disappear? Would you just do a random roll? No. Make that tower disappear and then let them deal with the consequences. There were the the the, the key was a plot <laughs> item. And again, it was introduced in, I think, the second game. Actually, maybe even the first game. We played that really long Saturday game. I think it might have been there. So that key has been around for a very long time. Later on, you learn that there's more than one key. Later on, you learn that the ghost is probably the one that used that key. You still don't know where the ghost is. You still don't know where the other keys are. So it's very impossible that a plot thing could happen that would, that would re-interact with that tower. And it wouldn't be like me arbitrarily deciding that. But if that happens, it's because it's going to be part of the story that you guys don't head off. What was your girlfriend's name in that story? Uh, Alicia. What was, yes. Bacon? On a way, way <laughs> off side topic, I still, I, like every game I'm thinking about Alicia. I don't know what's going on with her, and I want to go back and see what's going on with her. Just because of what Alicia happened with That's her. one of the reasons why Gregson wants to go back to the town. He wants to see what happened to her. That's one of his motivations because he has nothing to do in the way. That's understandable out of game, but in game, um, you haven't mentioned Zane that doesn't character. have any reason to. I to keep share saying that, that I want to go to the to the city. There's a reason mm-hmm. why. Right. All right. Well, we can skip over. We can go a little bit off track, and we can transition <laughs> to what we were talking about into dealing out loot to your party because you said that. Well, let's um, get with Garrett's question. Should we cover the Warren guys thing just so we know we cover it? Or? Well, we'll come back to that. Yeah, we'll come back to it. Right. Um, because you said that one of the cool things about the um, allowing us to have our moment was that you got to give us out loot. So you yeah. wanted to bring up... Well, this is an issue. I, I A game I was in a while ago, um, this was an issue that I really had a problem with, and it, and it aggravated me, and it really took away from the game for me. Um and basically, as what happened DM or player? as a player? Okay. Um, basically, what happened was um, we were in a game and we got in a fight with this huge vampire lord, and I um, I, I did something. Uh, I used one of my DM points or whatever, you know, and I just did something unexpected. I mean, the DM writes six scenarios, and this wasn't in any of them. I basically I summoned this huge dragon and destroyed the thing, and. Uh, and we, he wasn't expecting this, and we basically gained ownership of uh, his manor. Oh, well, long story short, um, we, we got all his loot, and we were going there. The party was going through every room, getting all the loot, and writing it down on a notebook. And we went through every single item we got, and it took hours and just really took away from the session. And my question is, and I, I even brought this up during the game, was, you know, all loot should be done in downtime or something. Just like, Hey guys, you're gonna get loot from this. I know you want to use it right away or whatever, but I'll send you a list in downtime. Let's move on with the game because it takes away from the role play. I just just wanted to know your guys' thought on this or if this has ever occurred. Well, yeah, I have experienced things... that exact scenario. Yes. As I jokingly said when we first started talking about this earlier, as a DM, I solved that because I don't give away loot. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> but I don't really it. necessarily think that's the best way to handle it. <laughs> One of the first things I was gonna say that I like that I think Michael has done is, what do you want? And and when we got, well, it's up to you whether you give it to him or not. But if they say, you know, I want a plus, I want a plus ten sword, you can go, okay, well, no, but I know that you want a plus sword, so you know, here's what I'll give you. And basically, with what happened in Michael's was, he said he wanted armor. I went, that's a really good idea. I want armor, and it's scorpion armor, and then. Uh, Rob said that he wanted a bow, but it's cursed. No. no. Um, well, one thing, I, sorry, uh, one thing I do um, as a player to prevent is I figure when you make your character, you get a slotted amount of gold pieces to spend on your character. That's what I consider my loot. 
any loot we come in in the game, unless I'm playing a rogue or something, I just I don't care. I just let hey you guys take care of it. I'm moving on. I don't I don't, I don't right. ever care about loot. Well, we we talked about this before. But, as far as downtime, like I I drives me crazy when we're like in a town and we spend an hour shopping. Yes. Okay, I want to go buy new armor and a new sword and new you know new backpack. Unless there's a plot point or a cool NPC you're trying to introduce, that should be a two minute conversation. Does two things bad. It splits up the group, and it and it creates um, a, a just waste of time because you've got to go through and you've got. I mean, you may not have what they're looking for. You don't have the entire list of everything the shop has written down right. most of the time. So usually I bypass over that. And it's yeah. really quick. Like okay, whatever you want. It's it's book price. You know, just make sure you don't buy anything crazy. You know, nothing magical, blah, blah, blah. I don't like spending game time exactly. doing that. So for the loot situation, and a, and, a, and a real answer would be, A, the DM needs to be more prepared, if possible, and know what what's there so it's already written down so you don't have to, like, mm-hmm. randomly roll all of a sudden. Or two, just say, like you said, I'll email it to you. I don't, you know, I don't know what's here. I'll give it to you next time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, absolutely, I would be going crazy if I sat for two hours while I can't even we were just getting as, as a, as a DM I, I do like option that. three yeah. I say I'll email to you because well, I don't so ever have the, the, our, shop, the list of my, things my, the my small counter argument for that is you kind of have to be aware of your players some players really like loot so for mm-hmm. some players actually going through every single room and figure out what mm-hmm. loot is there is actually the best part of the and, game and that's kind of where you can just make up something on the spot and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to classify people by age but I know that the younger people are if you're like 14 and you're role playing loot is very important at our age group loot is not as important because we, you get mm-hmm. the point of role playing right? you do it because you enjoy it but what's the enjoyment that you get out of it I think for our age group, it's more like a social thing and having fun, being creative. When you're younger, it's all about like getting cool stuff. Well, I think that also goes back to the video game mentality because we talked about that before. Most of your video games, like Mass Effect, yeah, you, Halo, you get good. better guns, better armor, right. you level up. And when I play those video games, I the same thing. I want the cool gun. I want the better armor. When I role play, I don't particularly care about that. Yeah, right. Honestly, it's, it's, you it's may nice get an upgrade, once in a while. but you may not be able to upgrade your weapon until you get to an upgrade right. station. Well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's kind of the same concept. For me, it's the excitement of the loot in your game what didn't have anything to do with being able to make a change to my character sheet. Um, I was really glad. Like, when you told me that I was that my AC went up a bunch, I when I did that, I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. That's great. But... That wasn't the excitement. The excitement was honestly the picture in my head of my character changing. Yeah, I had the exact same thing. I was like, now I'm wearing Scorpion armor. And I even said, right. I, want, yeah. I want a Scorpion tail because I was like, that would be cool to have. Because Grex would be like, he would want a Scorpion tail. Even right. if he looks stupid, he wants it. I was just picturing my character in my head and I'm like, okay, he's getting rid of these old leather straps leathers that he's had. He's been wearing since he was in, in this um, working for... Uh, Graydon and whatever his was it I don't know it was Crimson was it? Claw yeah, it was, yeah. It, for the, the Crimson Syndicate. Claw and it's kind of it was kind of like also moving on to the next stage of his of his life like mm-hmm. he's getting rid of that armor he's putting on this scale this scale scorpion armor and it, it, he looks completely different he's a different person now and that whole transition concept in my head was the cool factor about getting the armor like it didn't have anything so to this do all spawned just from getting a piece of loot and this is mm-hmm. this is loot you can have before the game starts and that's a little bit easier i'm talking about when you're wasting well again, but yeah. going back to, just real quickly about time. the thing with everything we're talking about is again that wasn't planned like at no time did i think oh well these elves have a lot of scorpion armor or scorpion weapons that that never was in my head yeah we came up with that pretty but, much. but i had said earlier that they use scorpions like as pets like the the chieftain had one on his shoulder and it would drop scorpion poison on his tongue and they put scorpion poison in their drinks and they had giant scorpions they rode like like you know pack animals so it only made sense that if they were going to provide them with loot yeah. it would be scorpion based and again it was always like a full of dead scorpions like a nanosecond in the head it's like okay and plus it was just cool sounding and and I didn't tell them what it looked like. I just said it was, you know, armor made out of scorpions, and they both I'm created sure my their own version. In my head is different from the picture. Well, that, that's, that he awesome. Has. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I think mean, that's awesome. But that's how this, it should be. So again, going back to your situation where you've got a, a whole bunch of loot, a couple of things that that always aggravated me, and this is some of that you're going back to your typical stuff, and also what you're talking about with um, knowing what you want. So the two things I would say there is I hate it when you defeat the main bad guy. And then you go and you look in their treasure chest 
and there's stuff in there that clearly they would have been using. Like, I destroyed the evil king. Oh, but look, there's a plus four plate armor and a plus five vorpal sword. Good thing he wasn't wearing those or he would have killed us all. Does it piss you off when they're wearing all this beautiful stuff and then you defeat them and they just disintegrate? There's nothing there. (laughs) But the the other thing is, like, with the old random tables, to Evan's point, is I don't necessarily want a wish list so I give you exactly what you want, but that I can give you things that make sense. Like, I would hate for somebody to randomly find a plus two battle axe that and no, no one, one uses wants. battle axes. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a plot point. Maybe that battle axe belongs to someone else and, mm-hmm. like, you know, you find them. Mm-hmm. But most of the time... They're not going to sell it or do whatever. Yeah, you just got a magic item yeah. that you really can't use. So, Well, most of the time, I said, DM, you give loot that you kind of know people would use. Like, you know, you have a yeah. ranger, you kind of give a bow... If you don't have a fighter, you won't give a great eye. It seems... I'm going to give them loot like that. Just give them the gold. Say you I'm find trying as much to gold. You know, wrap my head around the, uh, like... <clears throat> you said you went through, like, every room in this it place. It was like a huge mansion. Was Castle, it necessary actually. to do that, or could you have just that's said... That's what the party leader wanted to do. And, and he said, you, that's what we're doing, could, so we did it. He could said, the party have been happy with just going... Um, okay, we went through the entire mansion. We went through the entire place. And here's a list of what we found. That's not been the DM's job. The DM yeah. is the one that says, you know what, there's a lot of stuff here. Because if, if that's the case, so hey, I'm going to say roll, everybody rolls perception roll so we can see you know, how much you, you, you found. And then I'm going to tell you what it is, like yeah. in an email. All right, so I think we're about ready to move on. So okay. cue sound effect. <gasps> Message for you, sir. <laughs> and, and our wow, that was a great pull from the mailbag. Who is at Warwick. Yeah, it's at Warwick. Um, so, again, we mentioned this before. We're having a, I don't know if you call it a contest, but for the first 20 people that email we'll us. call it a death match. <laughs> death match. First 20 people that email us questions at our podcast email, which is podcast at dndacademy.com. After we get our 20th unique email with a, with a legitimate question, once we get 20, I'm going to do a random draw of those 20 people. I'll probably roll a d20. And we'll do it live on one of our shows. And then I'm going to send some free swag, uh, D&D Academy stuff, to that person. I took Socks, a picture today. I underwear. put it on the on the page today. I got a mouse pad. I got a couple uh, beer glasses. I got coffee mug. Kleenexes. Kleenexes. Used. So toilet paper. <laughs> they have to be different emails. I tried sending 15 emails from the same email <laughs> Every address. Toilet paper, work. Yeah, Every toilet paper. Every toilet paper So at work, send us an email. And his question revolves around battle maps. Which, again, is kind of funny because right now we don't use them at all. But it is still a good, valid question because a lot of groups do. And his question revolves around, so if you're going to use maps, should you hand-draw your own or should you use the pre-printed or digitally printed maps? And then regardless if you use hand-drawn or pre-printed, do you want maps that are very detailed and they have like, here's where the fireplace is, here's where the table is, here's where the chair is, here's where the torches is, or do you just want like an open like, here's a room, it's a guard room, here's a room, it's a library. So we'll start with the first question. So would you, if you're going to use maps, would you prefer pre-printed like or hand-drawn? I'd like to start on if you don't mind. Uh, well, I do like maps. I'm a big 3.5 fan. Um, we use maps almost every session, uh, both hand-drawn. Um, I do have an advantage. I have a plotter at work where I can print out big colored maps. But um, if you are into maps and you are into making them yourself, a good program is Hexographer. Um, and it is it is... I've tried a lot of map creation tools, and it does everything, and it does it great. Um, so that's it's really good. That's it, it's a really good program. Uh, it's Is it like, free? It's no, they do have a demo. It's two hundred dollars. <laughs> it's like it's like twenty dollars. Yeah. So, anyways, that's a good uh, good software to so, use. So, so you like maps? I love Why? maps. Why? I think maps bring a, a little bit of scale to a battle. I mean, like when you. Don't get me wrong. I do love the how D and D next works and that and how that feel is and it, it. But it's it's a different feeling, but not a different in a bad way. It's just different. Different. And uh, I mean, I like being able to put uh, a nine by nine colossal dragon on the grid map and say, "This is what you're fighting," you know. And it just really adds to the to the whole element. But also, like let's say, and I did this in my last game. You draw out a building, and and it's a scale, and then like, all right they're running for the door, but the door is only five foot wide. It's like you both can't run out the door because you've ran out of your turn. So, you know, you can't, it it kind of in like the enemy approaches them. They've only got this door where they can see, you know, they can't see this enemy because of where they at just helps explain what's going on in the battlefield 
and it's a little bit more easier for everybody to understand what's going on. You don't have to do, I guess, as much explaining, in my opinion. Um, so, and, and that was one example was there was like stairs involved and, I, and they were only so wide. You could, they couldn't see what was happening down there. Whereas if you don't have the map, you could just say, I run until I see it, you know. So just all that stuff. And it's just, like I said, it's just different. It's not different in a bad or good way. It's just different. So, so since you're probably the person who likes maps the most, would you, do you prefer the pre-printed ones just because you have access to that built printer? Or hand-drawn? Well, if you're going to do a pre-printed printed one, it's probably going to be on a piece of letter paper, and you're just going to end up having to redraw it anyways. Because one thing is you're going to you're gonna be getting into too much detail because you're going to be like, all right, you go down this tunnel, you can go right or left, and they're going to be like, well, what do we see? And then they're going to be like, okay, well, and if you just draw it out, they know that they can go what it looks like, the how wide it is, you know. What, right. You know, it just kind of gives it a little bit more of a feel. But um, I think that... Having a printout and drawing it is would probably be the most creative way for anybody who doesn't have access to a plotter or whatever to do it and to do it to scale. Okay. So what do you think, Nico? What would your opinion be here? Maps help for people that like tactics. Um, I agree with you for things like doors or you can't see this because it's behind this wall. It helps out. Um, I, I, I got introduced. They actually... What Mike has, the table that Mike has is pretty cool. And I don't know if you've described it before. but It's on the website as well. <laughs> but yeah, basically, no. you know, Mike, Michael has a basically a large table that uh, you can pretty much draw anything you want to it because it's made out of squares. Um, so hand drawing it, I don't have anything against it. What Jared was saying uh, is that, you know, if you, if you have the whole thing drawn out before the game, everyone can see exactly where everything is. And usually at the end of the tunnel, whatever, that's where the boss is. Uh, a way that I've seen people get around with that is they use A4 paper to cover the parts of the map that you haven't seen yet, that you haven't explored yet. And then just, I think you've done that as well, Evan, right? So then they remove the A4 paper, and it's like, oh, and this is a new thing that you can see. That's, yeah, a, that's, a, that's a way idea. to go around it. Personally, I, I like more what, I'll borrow the White Wolf term, which is theater of the mind, as in you see things in your head. I think it allows for uh, a little bit more creativity for players and for the DM to kind of like mention things that can be helpful or say, or the player can be like, do I see a bucket? You know, it's like something that you never draw most likely, mm -hmm. but then as a DM you can be like, yeah, you see it. Speak to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the other thing that the question asked was how detailed should it be? In my opinion, you should cover the main things like windows, doors, closets, like, you know, a big bed, stuff like that, but don't go overboard. And, Try to include anything that can be used tactically. Yeah, like, right. Like but, rivers or, or, you know, like right. there's a... Don't like go overboard, though, and start, like, painting little tables and stuff like that or, like, you know, stools because then the players can't really walk around because there's, like, too much detail drawn on, on, a, on a piece of paper for people to But explore. somebody – tables do help in combat because some people might no, but, step, uh, jump up on yeah, a table. Yeah, I mean, like, a table, like a coffee table, like something that's small. Yeah, I guess you can yeah. use it. But it, I've seen people draw maps that are so detailed that you can't – it almost detracts from the purpose of the map, which is knowing where things mm -hmm. are because there's just so much stuff on it. Uh, Joe's – I don't know if you remember uh, maps from Joe. He's, because he was artistic, he was, he was so detailed that you get distracted by what he was drawing because you're like, oh, that's a cool cool floor design because he would draw mm -hmm. floor designs on it and say, hey, this is what how the floor is designed and looks like and this is sun and blah, blah, which is cool. But you but can't lose the point. The game, yeah, right? you can't lose the point of what the purpose of the map actually is. I listened to a podcast, just on a side note, I listened to a podcast one time. I don't remember if it was Fear the Boot or it might have been on the Tome Show or something, but um, one of the guys, that was his thing. Like, his thing was um, minis. Almost like taking it from a D&D &D standpoint into like a uh, Warhammer standpoint. Like, uh, his thing was minis and battle maps and stuff like that. And he said that they had a uh, battle on a ship and instead of just drawing a ship, like on a grid, like he, he made a ship, like wow. he made a ship for that game. And then on the ship, he did the grid on the ship. And so the players had a ship on the table <laughs> with the <laughs> grid on it. But my personal, like my personal standpoint is I like, I like no map and, Sometimes I think it's because I have my own debilitating feature where 
I think when I see a map on the table, I get um, sucked into what I see. And when there's no map and the DM is just describing what's there, then I start getting making the picture up in my head. But not getting all of the picture from the DM is a good thing because I have those holes in my head and then I start asking questions to fill those holes. Like, if the DM doesn't tell me where the doors are, I ask him where the doors are. If he doesn't tell me where the windows are, I ask him. If he doesn't tell me if there's tables or if there's patrons or if there's liquor behind the bar that I can set on fire or, if, or whatever, I start asking all those questions to fill in all those holes where... I maybe and again maybe this is a downfall on my part but when something is drawn in front of me I think I take it as okay he took the time to draw that so that's that I don't need to ask any more questions about it like what I see is what I get so that's just in my my personal opinion is well, like, I like uh, sorry uh, well like uh, you when you both were talking I was thinking of other things that I wanted to bring up well like for instance spells when you have a spell that has a radius how do you do that when you don't have a map because um, i've never seen it done before because so. you lose that's what i'm saying it's less tactical when it's in your head so when you have a map it's tactics you're like well if my fireball falls here i'm going to hit two people but if it falls over here i can hit three so i'm going to hit mm -hmm. the three well when it's in your head you basically ask you can either say, what would be the best place for me to put my fireball, which is kind of, you know, kind of detracts from the game in my opinion a little bit. Yeah. Or you just say, I'm going to do it on the two guards that are sitting by the door. And then the DM can say, ah, oh, they're too far apart or they're too close. The caveat I wanted to kind of point out is, and especially for new dungeon masters, if you're not using a map, do not be surprised if you forget something, mm -hmm. or if what you think you're saying, what the players understand is different. Because you'll hear things like, Wait, there's a wall there, right. and that's when you right, know yeah. you made the mistake. Well, that's my biggest got, problem is because when when I'm I, I my limitations of my brain are if I'm asking is there a window there, is there a door there, is there a wall here, I'm forgetting about my purpose and trying to remember where everything is, and then I just forget completely right. everything where everything was, right. and I'm asking again, and I feel, I mean, it, it, I I like them both equally. I, the, the, but I've but, never felt less tactical not having a grid. Um, maybe you haven't played enough like D and D four point or three point five. Well, I think the biggest thing is we're not using magic right now. Your game yeah. you ran for a little while, and we still didn't get to use that magic a lot. Right. I think that's where some of the biggest things come from: is line of sight, line of effect, radius. Mm -hmm. Those are things that we haven't really had to deal with. So we we are now basically exclusively mapless, but we have, we were not for a very long time. So what's your opinion? Well. I'm a fan of not having maps, and the biggest reason why is, as we've discussed before, is how quickly you transition from a roleplay session or an exploration session or setting into combat. Where before, and I, I think I have a mental block, we've talked about this before, I felt like the time it took to set up the map, really just all the tension of the battle was gone. You know, you're having this really intense negotiation with the duke or the king or the queen or the guild master, and then, ah, it turns into a battle roll initiative, and then there's like a 15-minute break while I draw in the map. And I draw it terrible anyways. So I'm trying to draw really fast so it don't take so long. And then it's so bad it doesn't work. I just want work. to see you draw a terrible map. So then I have to slow down. And I just feel like by the time we're actually into combat, the tension's gone. It's no longer interesting. Yeah. What, well, that doesn't, that's not necessarily the same thing for me. But maybe that's just because I've always done maps. So I've learned to train myself right. not to. I started well, I, no I, map. I went into you, maps. You have to realize, you have to realize that Mike is self-conscious about his map drawing. It's oh, really it funny. Is, but he is. He is. Because every he time. Can't. I print out maps because yeah. I just don't want to draw yeah. stuff. Every time he draws something, he feels it takes too long, even though it doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. And he will always say. Oh, this is going to look horrible, but this is what I'm drawing. And then he draws it, then you're like, yeah, it counts. I see it. But he'll no, always have to he think. draws it, and you go, yeah, that does look like shit, because you tried to do it in three seconds. In three seconds. <laughs> so if I was going to use a map, I would prefer to use a printed map that I could have ahead of time and, and have and drawn. Another thing with the, 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 the trade-off is that it's not going to be exactly. Because I'm not assuming I have access to, to your technology and your exactly. printer. Exactly. Because most people, like, wizards sell these, you know, they're like, two feet by a foot and a half or two by three feet double-sided maps yeah. now. Plot like, is only $5,000, people. Come on. <laughs> well, so there's like one side's a woodland area, one side's a dungeon. Mm -hmm. So you could use those very easily. They're, they're very well done. 
but you're stuck with what they yeah, printed. Yeah, it, beca- it becomes exactly. repetitive. Well, there's tools that can create on that. But yeah. right. All right, Nico has our next guest topic, which is changing an encounter in the moment. So, Nico, do you want to explain a little bit what you mean about that? Yeah, the, uh, in, in Mike's last game, we were in the wastelands. This is after the whole elf thing with the scorpion armor. Uh, we were introduced to the concept of, was it desert demons? It's a sand demon. Sand demons, yeah. So the, the whole point was the sand demons were pretty badass like everybody was scared of them so of course even out of character but in character as well it's like oh like i don't want to fight. it sounds it sounds like we we're going to fight a dragon if we had to fight one in any case of course the one of the earth demons attacked us uh and he came out and we killed him he damaged us pretty well but it wasn't like i was in fear i was like maybe 50 percent health and it kind of made me think like if i was the dm what would have I, what would I do in that situation? Would I change my idea and my encounter and say another one pops up? But it's a bait because if we had two of them, you would have probably killed us all. So would you have like had like another monster show up that's just like bad enough but not as bad? Do you just leave it be? That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, do you change your plot or your idea based on what happens in the game in an encounter to kind of further the plot a little bit better? Right, so Evan, real quick, did you? I basically you didn't feel like the hype that he put behind the sand demons lived up to the encounter that we were right. I think we I think Mike did a great job hyping them up, but then I the encounter was... just went. We were just killing it too quick. Right when like when there when he came out, I was like, oh crap! He has like he's like one giant mouth and four little ones, and like it seems like once they attack you, they grapple you. So then you're like you're stuck there. So I'm like, this is not going to be good. This is going to be one of those situations that we say, run. It's like if a dragon lands and you're level three, what do you do? You run. Or like you hit it once, you're like, there's no way. But it felt like after that initial like intro, and he was like, he basically took down the entire house and the caves with it. So when he first came out, we hit it and it's like, I just did 20 damage on it. <laughs> All right, I guess I, I guess we can do this. Right. So you don't know what you are. Every time I actually connected, because there was a lot of times that I wasn't connecting, but when I did connect, I dealt like at least 20 damage, and you're like, okay, you cut off one of its tentacles. And I I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, okay, well, this is going to go pretty smooth. Right. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit. The two things is, yes, a lot of times I will change encounters on the fly. It depends on what I'm trying to accomplish with that encounter, because I don't believe in random encounters. I never just... Roll a die. Okay, you fight something in the forest. Every time you guys ever fight something in my games, it's for a specific reason. It might just be because there hasn't been a fight in a while and I can just look across the table and you guys are bored. Or maybe you just leveled and I know you've got that cool new feat or cool new power or you got a new sword. I'm going to give you something to kill so you can play around with it and you know kick the tires on your new, new, new loot or whatever. Um, but with that monster in particular... I created it from the, the D&D Next Rules. I went through and I found three or four different creatures that were similar to what I wanted like as far as power level. And I kind of pieced it together like a Frankenstein and I made it look the way I wanted to and that's this kind of thing. So I wasn't fully sure how how dangerous it was going to be. Now you as Grexel and, and Nico have told me before that most of the fights in this game haven't felt threatening. And part of that reason is you've almost exclusively fought people Right. And in my version of this game, every person's a minion. Pretty much one dagger stab kills most people, unless they're PCs, you know, actual characters. You're a commoner on the street, you shoot them with a crossbow, they're dead. So you guys were killing these people willy-nilly. So I wanted to put a battle that was more of a D&D type battle against a monster, high armor class, had multiple different types of attacks. And I was afraid that it was going to kill all three of you. So I didn't want to keep pumping it up because I'm like, well, part of it is you guys rolled well. At least Omi or um, Rob did. He, I don't Grexel think he missed well. once. Grexel did that When well. you did hit, as Zane, you were doing all kinds of crazy damage. And I, and I kept remembering that game we played under Nico where we actually all got killed. We were fighting like two bugbears, yeah. and we all died horribly. And because it was a play test, we're like, well, let's try that again. So we did the same exact scenario, same characters, and we slaughtered them because we just rolled well. Well, actually, you rolled normal. The first time you rolled, rolled horrible. Terrible. I think the first time you hit a bugbear twice. Like, you was four players, 
and they hit like the NPCs twice. And the second time you rolled normally and you just we, and we killed them. So and, I, and your tactics were better. So too. I was afraid that if I were to pump it up, a pump of its power, and then there was also a shift in rolls that I might kill you. You know, and, and the point of that encounter, if someone died, they died. I wasn't going to not have them die, but it wasn't to kill everybody. So I was because I wasn't experienced enough with DD Next, and I this was a brand new monster I had just made up. I was careful. afraid to manipulate yeah. it too much. But I do that a lot in my games where if you guys are just killing things, I'll add in a couple more bad guys, or maybe they have 20 hit points and you do 15 the first attack. Well, now they have 40. 30, right. right. But at the same time, I don't always want to do that because sometimes you should just, if you kill shit, you kill it. You know, there should be times where it is what it is. So I don't want to do that every time. It depends on what I'm trying to accomplish in that scene. So as, for me as the DM, yes, I do it, but not every time and only for specific reasons. I find... uh a lot of times it helps, too, if you kind of think outside of just the, the people in the combat. Like, think about the elements. Like, maybe the there's a huge windstorm, and, like, you guys got to battle the elements or the, the, the floor. The, the, the surface of the ground is uneven, so you've got to – you're at half speed or something, and, you know, and it, but they move at full speed. Or, you know, just little things that you can tweak to, to give one side or the other an advantage or a disadvantage. And also to, to bring something else besides just the uh, the you fighting them. You know? Right. I do change encounters a lot. I kind of the way I see it is I, I try to create a cinematic experience. So if something make doesn't make a lot of sense based on what I actually wanted to do and what's actually happening, I'll change it. I, I do believe though, if you roll really good as a DM or really good as players, you should just give it to them. Like uh. Mm-hmm. In Evan's game, oh, he rolled Jesus like Christ. six d tw- like six seven. crits, seven he did, twi- crits, he did seven crits in one battle, and, and like you know, kicked Rob's ass. But that's fine because it, it's like real life. Sometimes people get lucky, and that that's okay. It's just if the plot breaks or just doesn't have such a smooth effect, then I'll change things around. If something's supposed to be easy, but it's becoming extremely hard for like no real reason because I'm miscalculated, suddenly the, the creature's hit points go lower. Or something like they're killing it way too quick, but I want it to be like a hard fight, I'll make the hit points be a little bit larger. Not enough to like kill the players, but enough to at least make them feel like they have to earn the, the kill right. and, and move on. Well, well something like uh, that happened in my game was, uh, and it's, I mean, so... Yeah, if it's two demons and they kill them and everything, you know, that's fine. It's just, they're just monsters. You move on. But I had a situation in my game where I had a huge critical uh, NPC that was the enemy. And he was like, he was like level 20 and they were like level 8. And they actually found a way to kill him. And it was, it was really clever. And I just, it was just, it threw me off, but I gave it to him. But, and they actually got, like, he had the special gauntlet he wore and they got it. But when they got it, I was like, well wait a minute, let's make this interesting. And I, and basically what happened was they were visited by this, the spirit that, um, well, I don't want to get into any of that, but it was like this whole thing came just because they killed this guy and it led the group all to a whole other area. And it just, it, a war was kind of started and all this stuff happened and they have no idea that any of this stuff is really happening. Some of it anyways. And it's all because of, of something that they did. And I think that if you, do something like that it should be have you know major changing effects and stuff and and you should change it on the fly you could change your entire campaign and that's what it did for me but i would just uh throw in there at the last Mm. minute that if he's a level 20 npc and he has these powerful magic items he probably has them because he's a 20th level character Mm. and if they suddenly were dropped into the hands of a bunch of eighth level characters there's probably other people that are like oh well we'll go take that from them that were also 20th level characters. Actually, what happened was, just to clarify a little bit, he was he was 20 levels all rogue. And he just had this gauntlet that gave him a little bit boosted stats. But it was magically enchanted um, to summon the spirit. But um, he, he he was so cocky, he was like, I don't need your help, spirit. Go away. Right. And um, But the characters actually pushed him out of a window and landed on his body. So he was right there and he was another rogue. So he was like, not loot, loot, loot. And got this gauntlet, and I was like, "Well, let's let's make let's turn this into a role playing opportunity." So, well, and I guess what I'm what I'm saying there mm-hmm. is, if you can do that, and you can let the characters feel 
rewarded and let them use that super mega Vorpal mm -hmm. sword. But don't let it destroy your campaign where now every time they fight anything, they kill it. Because, again, if you get a weapon that's that powerful, eventually someone's going to go and take it from you if you're See, not powerful the, enough to Typically with me, it. if you're going to get something like that, it's equally as bad as it is good. Make so, me afraid it was some kind of curse thing or something. Yeah, well, it is, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only think about it as a They as could a be listening, DM, so I can't say too much. As a new yeah. DM from my yeah. other campaign that I did, I... Um, changed every encounter that I did just because I was brand new and I was afraid of either killing you too fast or the encounter being too easy and I had no I, I just I always was afraid of one or the other I was that my, that whole campaign was just me being afraid of what I was doing so what seemed to happen more often than not was that you guys would start killing off my entire encounter faster than I expected. And I think that was because from a planning standpoint, I was too I was too afraid to make it difficult from a planning standpoint. I have so, the opposite problem. <laughs> so what I started doing was ramping up hit points on everybody. I didn't change like damage or anything, but I was just making the encounters longer and making it harder to harder to kill things yeah. in order to try and right. deal more some more damage to you guys and make it feel like you know like, like there's a threat mm -hmm. and again i think that's a great thing to do but i would just caution particularly new dms to still make sure that what you're doing makes sense and the example i use is one of my friends in college he played for a while he never dm'd and one day he decided he wanted to he was like sure you know we'll do like a one-on just one character one dm just as like a training thing and this was like second edition AD&D rules. And, and my character, long story short, whatever, got into a bar and I started like a bar fight. And he had described that these were a bunch of just farmers. They're just commoners. That's all they are. But he started letting them attack me two and three times in a turn, which again, in second edition AD&D rules, you don't get to attacks till like your sixth level. Yeah, and I'm like, I get you have to be a fighter. Right. And I get what you're trying to do as a DM. But if you're really just breaking the laws that a characters know, it doesn't make sense for a peon farmer to be able to do two attacks when an only six level fighters and above can. So if you're going to make it more difficult, make it make sense. Otherwise, if you just start breaking the rules, I think you're going to lose some of that, uh, the reality of the situation and the characters and the players are going to kind of come out of it. All right. You want to move on to next news? Yeah. So we're going to do next news. This is just a topic that's just really recently. Uh, there was some, I think, it was part of a, a podcast. It was a D&D podcast where they were talking about they're working on the Warlord uh, class. That's going to be one of the new classes that they're going to introduce in the, in the play test. And they're trying to discover, you know, why do people play Warlords? Is it to be like a tactical leader or is it to be more of like a healer? Because in the fourth edition version, they kind of had both abilities. They could move people like chess pieces and they could grant buffs, but they could also do healing but the healing was more of like an inspirational thing. And that, that's kind of where I think it's coming to a head. And that's what I wanted to talk about is I don't think hit points, the way they work in D&D, are a good reflection of how an inspirational leader would heal, if that makes sense. So, for example, if you just have a good battle commander that's just an inspiring figure, charismatic, and he inspires his troops to fight harder, but one of them does get their arm chopped off, it's not like the battle commander is going to drop down and patch him up or in D&D terms, cast a healing spell, and then he'll be fine. I take that more to mean that because he's such a courageous leader like a William Wallace from Braveheart, that I'm going to ignore the pain that I have, and I'm going to continue to fight even though I'm wounded to the point I'm probably going to die. My example that I was thinking of was Mick from Rocky. Like, Rocky yeah. goes to the corner, and he's all beat up, but Mick's like, you can do it, Rock! Yeah. And he gets back up, and he goes out. And <laughs> right. So it's it. not like he's not hurt anymore. He's just able to ignore the effect. So my argument was they would have to fundamentally change how hit points work to truly get that inspirational leadership. Well, I think he would just, like, sure. take something, like a hot iron, you know, and then move on. Or well, something. That's what he wouldn't just let the blood drip out of his arm, you know. Right. When Braveheart, when, when that guy's got his arm cut off, they just, that night they seared it closed and he kept fighting. Yeah. But what I think, again, they're not going to do it. They're, ne they're never going to kill the sacred cow of hit points. But what I would like to see is where there is a negative impact of having less hit points. So, like, say you have 100 hit points just for an even round number. From 100 to 51, everything is fine. 
from what? 50 to like 26, you take negatives to damage well, or negative bloody, AC. Isn't it? It's bloody, but in the game, there's no attack or well, defensive they're, they're, penalty. So in D and D, there's in 4.0. There were special attacks that would trigger based on going bloody. I mean, bloody, right. But there now, wasn't like there was a I detriment. I totally agree with you, though. The thing that I hate about Dungeons & Dragons is hit points. Because even in the movies, or even the book, well, movie, it's a different, ex- it's an exception, but the, in books, when you read stories, people still die when a dagger, when they get stabbed by a dagger. In D&D, if you're, except if you're like a level one mage, you will never die by a dagger hitting you. We have discussions about this, like outside of podcasts. So I hate the hit point system, and I the bloody idea made a little bit of sense to me. I do like uh, role playing systems that you get negatives when you get hurt. Uh, White Wolf has something like that. Um, there's other games that have it as well, right. which basically, by the lower you go, you get like minus one, and then if you go even lower, you get minus two, minus three. And basically, there's a point that you're like, I am so low in health that I have so many negatives, it's not worth it for me to um, fight. It's like when you get your ass kicked in Rocky, you you can't say, okay, I'm, I've been punched so many times, I can't hit them anymore. It's not, because right. In, in, right now in like D&D Next, you can be one hit point and it like, doesn't make a difference. I like, I like the way Star Wars, if you played Star Wars Saga Edition, I like the way they do it. It's 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 brilliant. Basically, you have a, a threshold, damage threshold. It's, uh, certain things increase or decrease it. But if if an attack, let's say mine's twenty four, and an attack does more than twenty four damage than me, I go one scale lower on my right, on my, and, you and then I take penalties negatives. from then on. And then it, it goes again. There's like the penalties are right. even more. And then so if that, you get that, the, so many of those, you just you're unconscious. Right. And so that would be my argument is that if you had a system like that in D and D where you had penalties, yeah. your inspirational leadership could say you don't could get any hit points. Penalties. You just don't. Right. Need, you, the penalties aren't right. affecting you because you're overcoming the fact that you're damaged. So mm-hmm. unless they change hit points, I don't think they're ever going to get a way to do inspirational leadership or insp- I should say inspirational healing. That really makes sense, and that to me, that's kind of sad. Well, I think, see, D and D has always suffered oh, from. You. I know. Yeah, D and D has always had the problem that you need a cleric in your party. Yes. You either need the cleric, or you need some kind of magical potion or whatever that heals everyone. In four point the idea I'm guessing was let's have more healing classes that don't just heal, so people can play it. So if you want to be the tactic, the tactician, you play warlords. But the first time I read about warlords in 4.0, I hated them. I'm like, what is this? This makes no sense. It doesn't follow any of the previous mythos that D&D has established. It just, it's like a class out of nowhere. But the more I kind of looked at them, I actually ended up playing one in your game. I don't know if you remember this, but the, the guy that would like inspire people. Mm-hmm. It was my, uh, well, I don't even remember his name anymore. I think Kyle was his name. But anyways, um... I do like the mindset of it. I do agree, though, with the hit point system. It doesn't play it doesn't very make well. Sense. There actually was there was a 3.5 equivalent. It was called a Marshall, but it came really late into 3.5, and I think it actually came from the miniatures game more than the actual role-playing game. Yeah, because so, I, I thought about playing playing a Marshall when we were playing a 3.5. Right. So, But he was, he was different than 4.5. And then the other thing I talk about just about the next news, and this is something we brought before, there's been discussions about the Barbarian, because the Barbarian is the newest class that was just made available in the latest playtest. And I'm in the camp that Barbarianism is a cultural distinction, not a class distinction. I think the Barbarian should just be a fighter that specializes in, like, rage. And, but same thing with the Warlord. I don't think the Warlord should be a separate class. I think the Warlord should be a fighter build with tactical options. But oh, I go with the thing. I think there's they only... have to sell more books, though. <laughs> well, and I guess it's, and again, it's that sacred cow. But for me, I would prefer if there was only four classes. You have I would just call it magic user because you would have wizards and sorcerers, cleric, fighter, rogue. Everything else should be based off of those. So you have rangers would be a mixture between fighter and rogues. Paladins will be different, a combination of fighters and clerics. They're not that, going that, to do it. That would never happen because of financial reasons. Right. That's why. Doesn't but I think it would be a much better game if they did. How big of a part of the Warlord in 4.0 was um, moving was moving characters on the battle map and totally the depended map? on how you wanted to? Because that would him. be extremely hard to do in D and D next, don't you think? Right. Well, and again, D and D next is it's built where you don't have to use maps, mm-hmm. but it's supported. So once the rules come out, they're going to have oh, the okay. rules will be written in a way that says 
if you use maps, then this is what that means okay. if you don't. So I mean, th th they do anticipate that maps minis will be involved. It's just not, the, game, the rules aren't written where you kind of have to. Like 3.5, especially fourth edition. You have to. You, I mean, you could do it without it, but you would be making so many concessions that you almost would be playing a different game. You know, it's not like saying you couldn't do it, but it'd be very, very difficult. So again, I'm a huge fan of DNA Next. Don't get me wrong, I love it. I'm loving the system, but I'm actually kind of disappointed that they're not making a barbarian just a fighter build, and they're not making the warlord a fighter build. I think it's a misstep, but who knows? Once the game comes out, I may may change my the mind. The barbarian class has a lot of a lot of people like barbarians because they get the DR so damage resistance. They walk faster and the rage mechanic. And D12 but that's not for the, hit points. I like. Oh, yeah, and I that's the huge one too. Really but cool fighters, too. fighters get uh, D10s. Yeah, but they still get yeah. a good right. amount. But again, I think of a barbarian as a cultural difference, like the noble savage. Uh, no, I, I see. Native point, American. Sure. There. I mean, so I'm still a fighter. I just have a different cultural heritage. So I think that's the distinction. So like a berserker, you know, like you think about Scotland uh, Highlands. You know, they drink some thing they, they don't feel pain they go crazy i could see that being more of a class like a berserker class but the actual barbarian i don't think should be a class distinction it's think it should be a culture distinction well they have a name what what do they call it in D, &D next they have they have kind of like sub classes and sub races and, and like so if you play an elf you choose if you want to be a high elf or a wood elf it's like a sub sub race right. and then for classes if you play a thief you get to choose if you want to be the assassin that gets you the assassinate ability right they're called schemes rogue schemes right so each one of them has like a certain, right so you can do the same thing with so a fighter you can, you can say i'm a fighter play. now what build do i want do i want to play a warlord build a barbarian build you could even do, you know, like a woodland build, and then what your tree of skills would fall underneath that. But, you know, if you want to go with simplicity, then you can say that clerics are really fighters that can just heal, and rogues are really fighters that can just sneak. So at that point, might just might as well just have fighter and mages, and that's it. Mm. If you want to simplify it, it right. like it, it really is that. But, I know. I, I like the idea of the four core, but I I just think I think anything else you wanted to play, you could realistically build. And have fun with. I don't think they have to have their own classes, but that's just my right. opinion. I think D and D three point five had a lot of classes. Every book had a, had three new classes. Right. So then, when you make a new character, especially when you do it now that all the books are already out, there's so many choices, which I think it's almost yeah. too silly. You have too many choices. In four point I think it was a good balance. Well, 5.0, the ending next, I guess we'll see how it works out. But thing with 3.5 is like the Barbarian gets the Rage, but less feats. Fighters get feats like every other level or something. So they can build their character more feet-wise, and there's that distinction right. between but the two. But you can still do that. Points. You get to say, okay, you're, you choose your Your, your feet is Rage. Yeah, so you're saying that. Fighter, you get all the feats and everything, you're just picking Barbarian feats as opposed to what you right. normally choose. Well, that's I mean, you could do that anyways. I mean, right, exactly. So why do you need a Barbarian? Why do you need a separate class or something you could do within the Fighter? So that's my, that's my I, point. I, I so, mean, I think in that those specific examples, you, you, could, you could separate it. I never really understood it myself. I don't play Barbarians because I'm not a big fan of the Rage. Um, feet, but uh, I, I don't know. I just uh, I, I think you could just make a fighter and do it that way and make perfect sense. But I don't think you want to do it like that for every class because, like he said, you just need two classes and then that would be. be but you could even but, go classes. I mean, you just classes. You just you know you a la carte every skill that you want. But I mean, sticking with D and D, I think you need those four core. Mm. But I think you could do everything else. It could be like GURPS. You just you just get a person and you're like just throwing points at everything you yeah, want, and I then that's, that's what you are. You know. It's... All right. So I have one last surprise round topic. I want to really quickly before we get out of here, uh, because this came up. I, I've I've been editing the Made Man. I, I did two episodes yesterday, so I spent like four hours just editing. And I noticed it's something that I do in my games, and I just kind of wanted to see what you guys thought of it, and then get Jared's take on it as well. Very rarely when I role, role play NPCs do I try to give them, like, voices. Because I've talked about this. <laughs> I'm not good with voices. Like, I barely can talk in English as it is. So if I try to do, you know, it, it always comes out either Irish or Scottish. Like, I, there, there's really no other thing. So I noticed, like, I, I role played the queen. She sounded just like me. I role played <laughs> the elf. Chief, it was me. Uh, I role played Sala. It was me. So do you guys ever, like, wish that I would take more time and try to give distinct voices, or does that bother you at all? Well, it's DM preference. Man. Whatever the DM prefers, that's, that's what here, you do. Here's my take on this. One of the 
best DMs I had was an actual voice actor. So he actually could do voices because professionally he would do voices. He would do uh, basically dubbing for American cartoons in Greece. He would dub over voices. So he was amazing. And that helps with being immersed because when you meet somebody, you hear their accent, you can kind of get some idea of uh, their personality. You know, if he has like more of a village accent or it's like a more gruff or you can portray certain things with voices alone. Having said that, I also suck at making vo voices or even accents because I can't even have an American accent. So it's wait, hard. Wait, you're not American? Yeah. But so, so basically my point I wanted to make is I think if you can do voice acting and you like it, you should do it because it helps. Yes. All right. Any last thoughts from anybody? No. It's fun as always. All right, Nico, Garrett, I appreciate you guys joining us tonight. Anytime. The podcast. Available. All right, so this has been Evan. And Michael. And Jared. Nico. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.